All right. Special guest on the show today, Jason Skisip. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us live. We are live streaming. And I, you know, speaking of tribes, because we're talking about this a lot today, we've got a couple of examples. One example I thought I'd show, start the show with, but we've already, already gotten one. We've got uh, Marcello tuning in with the hashtag Team Live from Atlanta, Georgia. You know, look, podcasting is this thing that right now in, in this moment of time we're in, Jason, I'll get your feedback and then I'll tell the story I was going to tell. Um, you know, everybody can do a podcast. Right? Doesn't mean everybody should. Everybody can do a podcast because we've got these supercomputers in our pocket that produce, you know, quality stuff, I guess, right? But there's something, there, there's something in the commitment, and I'm proud to say this, about being committed to doing a live show. I couldn't do it without my great team at Cast Ahead and Chris pulling the levers, pushing the buttons right now. But um, there's something different about doing it live. And it means you get good guests because guests realize, hey, you know, I have to be on time. I got to look good. I got to shave. I can't just hide behind a Photoshop or a head or a headshot photo, right? And uh, so just shout out to all my live podcasters out there. Appreciate all you because I see you and I understand the commitment it takes. Jason, as a fellow podcaster, fellow entrepreneur, fellow people, fellow person uh, pouring into other people to create great tribes. Welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you oh, having, you, having you here. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your time and your audience. Uh, I'm pumped up, man. From That that uh, intro alone has got me ready to woo all day. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, and again, I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. So the story I was going to tell, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm vehicle-less at the moment. Oh, no. um, I'm kind of changing things up in the car stable and um, I'm uh, going to a big boy truck, uh, F three fifty or two fifty, and and uh, gonna also use it for a tow rig. And so I've been searching and searching. And the point about tribes is, you know, I was I had this feeling that this truck I was looking at, which is a ninety seven F two fifty, the thing looks mint, the frames fantastic. Like these have become collector trucks. Mm -hmm. I follow a page on Instagram of a guy in New Jersey. This guy, I don't know where he gets them. It's like he's got a garden where he grows these things. But these mid-90s diesel trucks, and they're 50,000 miles, 75,000 miles in the cherry. You know, but they're 80, 90,000 bucks, 60,000 yeah. bucks. And it's like, you know, well, I can have nice things, but this is going to be a thing that tows a camp trailer. It's going to get beat up a little bit, you know? And so... I find this truck and I just begin this morning to get this feeling something's not right. Something's not right. So I said, let me pull a Carfax. I'm just about ready to hit submit on Carfax. And it's not about the 45 bucks. It's about, wait a minute, I've got a network around me. So it's not even about being cheap because what I now get to do, and I actually made a note here, is I get to send the person, Jason Araga, who helped me out. I get to send him a really cool little care package as a thank you gift and have that opportunity to make a deeper connection. And that's what's cool. That was the story I wanted to start out with about having a tribe around you. So maybe you can uh, expand on that about how we get to do things when we have cool people around us. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such an awesome way to start this conversation because you really already illuminate, uh, you already kind of mentioned the biggest elephant in the room and that's this device here. And so if you're listening, I'm holding up my phone um, because we do have these supercomputers in our pocket. And so many years ago, at least 10 years ago, uh, I heard, it might have been Gary Vee, but I heard somebody talking about this idea that in a world 
where all of the information is available at your fingertips, the most important thing was going to be the closest relationships around you. And so Mm -hmm. I love, love, love the story that you started us off with because one of the many reasons why I've spent so much of my time seeking out being involved in tribes, in some cases, building my own tribes, uh, is that, is that in, in, in today's society, there are so few places that you can really count on information that you can rely on. And I think you're relying on your, your, um, your network and your tribe is one really great way to make sure that you're getting actual real information instead of just a bunch of different noise in the system, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, it was really kind of neat. I, you know, in a way I was like, well, you know, are people going to judge me if I put this out there, ask and put my hand out? But that's exactly why. You have a tribe. So I'm like, nah, just shut up about that in your head. This is why you have a tribe. And, you know, I knew I would get help, but I knew I've got something to give back. I've already got the little package partly assembled. Made a note of what else I wanted to send while I was up here. Good stuff. But but yeah, like that's the reason you're in a group. That's the reason you get this circle around you because you want to expand. You want to make deeper connections. I love what you said with all the information that's out there, the closest relationships are the ones around you. And so uh, as time has gone on for you, what have you found as some of the biggest benefits of having that circle? And and why now? Because I'm feeling that right now, we're in this moment in time where the strength of your circle is going to probably be a direct indicator of your success as we roll on last half of this year and the next. Yeah, so that I'll break that into two parts. So for me personally, uh, I grew up like a lot of guys my age. I grew up playing sports, playing football uh, in groups, playing uh, baseball in groups, uh, basketball, things like that, rugby. Um, and then I was in the military for four years. And so like so many young men and women uh, in my generation from, you know, 01 to 2010 and, and beyond, uh, spent a ton of time in these tight knit groups in the military where I just realized I would do so much more. I'd be so much more successful, work so much harder, take things so much more seriously, be more disciplined uh, as you know for somebody else than I would for just myself and my own motivation. My intrinsic motivation for my own success or proving something to myself is so much smaller than my unyielding energy that I have to pursue helping others that I'm connected with, right? My tribe. Uh, and so what I've found is, and I'll sit on the couch if it's just for me, but if it's for a tribe, that's where I get up. I'll never let somebody else down. And so for me, having a tribe around me just makes me a better person and somebody that I like to look eye to eye with in the mirror. Uh, now, when we talk about globally, I, I actually do have a pretty strong opinion about that. I think in the past, you know, without the internet and, and when religion was a much more central uh, figure in our culture, uh, we had these tribes that were sort of baked into our local environment, and that was our church. Uh, and, and so many mm. of us still are attending churches, and that's, of course, terrific. But for so many people in modern day, we have access to everything in the world, but we don't even know the people who live right next to us. And so that's why I love um, things like CrossFit gyms or you know, jujitsu studios or yoga gyms, uh, where, where you have these groups of tight-knit people that are going through an experience, something that's difficult and challenging, that they overcome together um, locally. Because it develops these, I call them sweat bonds, but it develops these sweat bonds with people local to them, which we just see deteriorating so quickly. If you don't have some local place where there's a, a tribe that's gathered around, usually a charismatic figure and 
hopefully some virtuous ethic unless you're in a cult, right? Right, right. Yeah, wow. You, uh, I just made a note here to make sure we talk about that. So I, I often take some hard lefts and hard rights in our conversation. So we'll Let's take a hard it. left. <laughs> yeah, we'll take a hard left if that's all right with you. Of course. And so, uh, and so on the topic of church and religion, you really set my mind on fire about, yeah, they were the hubs mm-hmm. of where we do gather for higher influence, right? And, you know, I have faith. I have belief in God. This isn't a show about religion or about God, and we're not going there per se. What I often will say, though, is if you think life's just happening to you coincidentally, that's a very sad way to live life, in my opinion. You know, Mm -hmm. you're entitled to your own, um, and you can live your own. But I think there should be a belief that there is something greater than us working for us. But I love that thought of we've lost that connection because we have that super connection in our pocket. You know, there's a book, um, and I'll, I'll make this point about the book, and then I'll toss it to you for your thoughts. There's a book called Suicide of the West by Richard Koch, K-O-C-H. Have you read this book? I have, yeah. Fantastic book. Fantastic book. And, you know, it talks about the expansion of the West and the power of the West, really one of the six pillars around it. Um, or no, I'm sorry, there were six pillars that bring down Western civilization, but one of the pillars that brought it to the forefront was the expansion of Christianity and the connection to a higher faith directly, you know. And if we look at your state, and this is what why your statement reminded me of this book, um, is because prior to Christianity, you would have to go through the seers and the prophets and the temple leaders and the, you know, the church elders of, of any place you might have been living at at a previous point in civilization. But now, if you just gather for a purpose, that church can be in a strip mall, which we see, mm-hmm. right? That church can be in an older building. It doesn't have to be this magnificent stone example of architecture, which doesn't make those buildings bad either, right? But that purpose of connection in that place, I think we're losing. So I would toss my thoughts to you there to expand on them and, and, and what your thoughts are about having that uh, virtuous higher authority, I think is what you said. Yeah, I mean, I think based on how you set it up, I don't think we're even really talking about the religion aspect. We're talking about right. the idea of human beings gathering in these tribes around a sort of exalted ethic, whatever that is, right? And so you saw this happen in communist Russia. You see it happen uh, in technocratic San Francisco. Uh, but you did see it for sure in a very relatable way in small community church uh, congregations, right? And so this is something where we basically say, hey, this is what it looks like to live a virtuous life. Certainly there are pitfalls. Uh, but when we, when we have that example and we have a structure of people helping each other, there's this network of people that's very real that's not only helping those folks that are struggling and exalting those folks who've, uh, you know, who've, who've risen, but also just demonstrating what it looks like to live a virtuous life. And so I love that idea of like Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian man. The idea isn't that to, to be perfect. The idea is to look at something that is a template that you can sort of uh, guide your path towards um, that will help you to live what, what the group has agreed is a, is a virtuous ethic. Now, 
again, if, if, if you're too tied up in one particular ideology or another, I could see where that doesn't look appealing, but it helps us because we're not grown up at 18. We still need to see what it's like to be a man, to be a woman, to take care of a really, uh, a family and to take care of your friends and your, your elder family. And I think a lot of that comes through these like charismatic central figure led tribes. Love that. Love all of that. So I think at any, at any given point in someone's life right now, they've got a handful of tribes circling yeah. around them, right? And they can be that sphere of influence. So you've got your family tribe, right? I guess you got your friend tribe, mm -hmm. work tribe, and then your client and customer tribe. The commonalities between those, how do you, how do you, let's kind of dig into that. Like, how do you, how do you help people lead those tribes and build them people around you? Cause really what we're talking about is our listeners and our watchers becoming that central figure of their tribe, right? Yeah. That seems open. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, bringing up books, I mean, Sapiens does a really good job, uh, yeah. kind of, Describing it in, in terms of if you look at like um like where a bomb would hit and then there's like the concentric rings, uh, we're capable of like three to five very close family members that we intimately know the nuances of their uh emotions and their life and their background. And then there's this bigger group of, you know, friends, let's call it five to twelve. Uh, and then there's acquaintances, and then you talk about work and you talk about people that you know by face and you give a nod to in traffic. Um and, and that's that's sort of the limit of what we're capable of processing. But if you're watching this and we've already sort of set up technology as being potentially a bad thing, but there are ways that technology can be a very good thing in this sense. And there are ways uh, that we can take our limits as primates, right? We're just primates. And so we have these limits of only a few really close relationships and on and on and on. But through technology, you can actually take some of that processing power out of your head and you can put it into systems. And that's where the real fun begins. If you're like a social entrepreneur or a service entrepreneur, or in my case, what I would call kind of a combination or even a tribal entrepreneur, it's to help people build tribes that are bigger than what we could do just inside in between our ears, right? We take the magic between our ears and we use science to make it bigger than we would be capable of on our own. I mean, even candidly, just be starting this podcast with you, you know, the production that your show has is stellar. And if you tried to do that all yourself and all of the other things that you have to do, you would just fail. All of it would be a muddy representation of what the viewers and listeners are getting today. Um, and the way that you guys were able to do that, it's such an amazing uh, scale and really incorporate me immediately into your tone was the systems and processes that you have set up. And so tribe really equals you know, a series and a network of systems to connect people mm. better and, and provide a more desirable result with less busy work, right? Love that. You know, so anybody watching will often see me uh, making notes. That's what I'm doing. You may not see that, but that's what I'm doing. I love that. I'm making that note right now. A tribe equals a series of networks and systems. Yeah, that by the way, fantastic. just for the record, I got, I got five whiteboards within arm's reach right now. So. We're, we're kindred spirits. I know I saw some whiteboards in your backgrounds. Yep. Yep. I've got them up here <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, so if so, and I love the, uh, the noise between your ears, right? Like I think it was, I think it's very easy as a leader. Now, whether you're a leader in your family and you work for somebody else, you're a leader 
uh, within a company, you're a manager of some, some kind, some level, or you're that business owner and entrepreneur. I think it's really easy to stay stuck between your ears. What have you found, uh, are some good ways to help people get out of their own head? Yeah. So when people ask me who I serve, I've typically said I serve magicians. And what I mean by that is these people who have magic between the ears. Well, how did they get there, Jeff? They got there by being the guy or gal that steps up when there's an opportunity to take responsibility, right? We've broken through the walls. If there's something in our way, we break it down. We solve the problem. We achieve the desired result. And we lead our people, whether that's our family, our friends, or our clients and and team, we lead them to the next level. But there becomes a certain point where our success becomes our failure. We become the choke point in our businesses or in our lives because we've done it all for so long. Well, you get to this point where you're unable to scale past what you're able to do with your own brain and and arms, right? And so that's why it becomes crucial for us to have the, you could say humility or on the other side, really the drive to find true success to take that stuff from between our ears, to set it down, to put down the sledgehammer, to take off all the different hats and really start to build some version of what you did in between your ears externally. And so if you were in charge of 10 jobs before, you might need to go find nine employees and put nine Mm -hmm. hats on nine different people if you want to be able to impact the world on a bigger way. And this applies to your business, but it also applies to raising funds for the church or helping the, the soccer team get new jerseys or whatever it is, you're only going to be a mom, right? You're only going to be able to get done so much. And so you come down to this choice where it's binary. You're at a fork in the road. I can either work myself to death and live a busy, un, un, unfulfilling existence, or I can learn the new skill of actually managing and setting up systems and building a team of people that are all in the same boat, that are rowing as hard as they can in the same direction towards the same goals. Yeah, love how you shared. I love everything you just shared. It reminds me, I was just in Texas for Apex, the Apex group. Oh, nice. Apex Mastermind, their their big annual event, Million Dollar Mastermind. And Mike Rowe was the, the big celebrity, you know, although there's, there were so many fantastic people there and, and yeah, it was such a great time. To was there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lean back. Yeah. He was great. I mean, there's a guy who is so smart and yet people think of him just from what they've seen. Right. But they obviously don't see the struggle. They don't see the other successes inside the success. And then the package of success that makes it all happen and remain together. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a guy that builds great teams and there's a guy that understands he can't do it all on his own. Um, but Mike Rowe was talking about, and this goes to your comment of, you know, you get something done, there's 10 jobs and you can't possibly do it all. You know, at a point in his life, he wanted to, um, he was challenged by his grandfather to do something, um, of importance. Right. And that meant to his grandfather, his pop, as he would say, that meant, you know, like a blue collar work, right? Because mm-hmm. his grandfather could like take apart a watch and put it back together blindfolded. He could wow. self-taught welder, steam fitter, pipe fitter, electrician, right? Blue collar stuff. And ultimately, all it needed was just new tools in the toolbox. And so here's Mike, he's on TV. He's hosting these, you know, hoity-toity shows about wineries and you know, spas and membership clubs out in California. 
And he just decides, you know what? I'm going to do something that my pop understands. So he climbs down in a sewer, right? The, the, the TV station flips out. They fire him, but he takes that footage. And what does he do with it? He shops it. Discovery Network picks it up. Yeah. Turns it into dirty jobs. I love that. And 20 years later, here we are, you know, and now, now he's impacting so many people. So really, I mean, I guess the point of sharing that is, was, was the lesson of everybody's got a toolbox, you know, but all the tools aren't the same. You know, everybody's got a toolbox and we can make impact with those around us with that toolbox. But the people we put in it, the systems we put in it, the tools we use are, are going to be different for each of us. Yeah. Know? And I think too, um, it's interesting that you use that example. I'd like to borrow it because one of the reasons 100%. why his, one of the reasons why his show has been so successful is yes, the tools, the tools of of learning how to solve this next problem, how to ascend to be the person that needs to achieve that desired goal. Um, but the thing that uh, people in media, I love the example of you could use Fat Joe, you could use Mike Rowe, you could use anybody in media have is they have a clarity of an idea, and so no matter how many tools or systems or org charts that I build up and how many uh, team building exercises we do, if everybody thinks they're there to achieve a different goal, if everybody doesn't quite understand what the rallying cry of this tribe is, they're really going to struggle to like personally connect to it. And we don't, especially post-COVID, we live in an age where you know salary just doesn't make a committed um, and focused you know, hardworking employee right. or, or team member. Um, and so for me, it's so much about clarity over volume, right? Volume is great. You can run ads, you can have big events, you can go to these masterminds, you can do all these really cool, big things. But if you're muddled at the very core, the very seed of why you exist as a tribe, whether that's personally, if you're just talking about, like I said, church communities or local communities or families or, or businesses, very much so. Uh, it's the clarity of being able to say in just a few sentences exactly what it is that we're setting out to accomplish to where every single person in that tribe now has a clear understanding and like a real strong personal connection to what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because then the tools, they build themselves because everybody wants to see that watch put together. And if everybody right. wants to see that watch put together, we're going to be telling time by tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like it's going to happen. We're going to get there. Yep. We're going to have a couple yep. extra screws, maybe a spring or two, but that thing's going to tick. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it is. It definitely is. And, you know, the interesting thing, and I, I, I'm i going to take the opportunity to do it now, if it's okay. I said I don't multitask, but here I'm going to multitask because from that opportunity, uh, hearing Mike speak, you know, his dedication to the trades and really, you know, uh, you know, when you take those like surveys, schools use this a lot. They take a survey from the community, from the parents, from the teachers and the students. And then there's like this word explosion on the board. And they, it pulls out the themes, right? So if you were to do a word explosion about Micro's life, I think one of the big words that would come up is dignity. Because that's what Dirty Jobs did. The feedback he got from the, the, the sewer guys, the guys that I don't even know what that job's called, but people that go down in the sewers and make it work so we can flush the toilet and not think about it. Yeah. Right. It's the roofer. It's, it's the, it's the, he had told a really interesting story about a sheep farmer that, you know, just look up the sheep farmer episode of Dirty Jobs. You'll be blown away by that episode. But like the dignity in this stuff, but really it's deeper than that. And here's where I said, I want to multitask. And so for you people watching, and I'm sure you love seeing your people you work with have this impact. 
there would there should be two other words about micro's word word explosion that happens on a board and that's saving lives mm. and so my son um and this is what i want to pass on to mike so i'm going to take the time to share it now because it is impactful because people quite honestly have the ability to impact others so profoundly it might just be life-saving and so here's my example if, if you don't mind indulging me for a minute please I'm, okay. I'm, thank you can't wait so my son was not a book kid he was not going to be a college kid hated every moment of his high school learning experience in a desk in a, in a regular classroom to the point where he's suicidal. Mm. Like we're talking with counselors, you know, I'm a hunter. Um, I like firearms. I go to the gun range. I target shoot and all of those. And I, I'm very safe. Things are locked up, channel locked, trigger locked in a safe. Mm. All of those firearms were out of the house. I mean, it was that severe mm. because we just weren't, our son was not our son. Mm -hmm. And we fought. We fought with the school in 10th grade to get him to go to Votech. I call it Votech. It's mm -hmm. career center now. Mm -hmm. Because our school, they wanted kids ninth and 10th of the school. And then you got to go to 11th grade. Really what it was is we're going to try to make your kid a college kid and force it for two years. And if we can't, we'll give up and they can get two years at career center and we don't care. The current administration is far different, far more supportive, and I'm happy for that. Mm -hmm. But we had to fight. And we saved our son's life mm. by getting him connected to the trades. And so I think the job Mike Rowe's doing is life-saving in that regard. If he can penetrate beyond uh, adults finding a career into the schools, it really can be life-saving. And that's the opportunity, if you're listening to this, what Jason shared with you and what we'll continue to talk about, you have the opportunity to have that kind of impact on people with what you do, who you lead, who your tribe is. And so thanks for letting me do that and indulge because I think it's important for people to hear. I mean, man, thank you for sharing. I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. And I think it's a testament to, you know, your leadership and, and certainly your wife's uh, and, and really making something happen that otherwise wouldn't have on its own. I, I have a similar, not quite the same story, but you know, when I was in first grade, they were putting me in behavior disorder classes mm -hmm. and I was severely depressed. I was like, I was like Charlie Brown. I, I don't remember it, but my mom tells me I'm like dragging my, my backpack home from the bus and I was just super unhappy. Um, and she fought hard to get me put into a private, uh, the, the, the system paid for a private behavior disorder school. And in a lot of ways, it was hell. There was people there that were suicidal. There were people there that were violent. There were people there. It was K through 12 and I was in first grade. And so we had smoke wow. breaks at this school. Uh, and, and what I'll tell you though is that school allowed me to go from the worst student that a teacher could ever imagine to going through like multiple science and math books every single year just by allowing me to pursue those things I was interested in, to have a little more yep. personal attention and actually energize um, you know, those things that I was interested in because I wasn't cut out for that cookie cutter model and then got into high school and I had a similar experience. I'm being forced down this path, uh, towards college. And I just had no idea the direction I want to go as a man. And so I wouldn't say my life was saved in a sewer, but in the army, I worked in sewers and that is where I learned <laughs> discipline. That's where I learned hard work. I have never had a better yeah. time than pulling miles and miles of cable, trying to figure out new ways to make it a workout. Uh, in an Iraqi desert in the middle of a sand hole, in the, in the middle of a, a manhole. So 
uh, I, I deeply relate to what you're saying. And so, you know, for whatever it's worth, man, I'm just so happy to hear that that story had such a, you know, positive result. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And now, you know, my son, uh, got into the construction trade and spent some time in that, you know, did not land with the right company who was willing, you know, this is a company that folks like you and I, you know, they're our client, right? Cause they need a lot of help. They didn't have processes. They didn't have systems. They had a terrible culture. And, you know, Ethan is the kind of kid, he just, you know, he's like, yeah, just not for me. So I'm going to close that chapter and go to the next chapter. Uh, but now he's management at our local Chick-fil-A and loving it, just loving it and excelling. And I never in a million years would have guessed that this kid, as quiet, as introverted as he is, would be that manager. But we have to find, like, we, and I guess this is the next point in our conversation, like, we've got to find and inspire the opportunities to bring people out of their shell or maybe in your lingo, bring people out of what's between their ears and show them what's possible. Show them there is opportunity here. Yeah, I think that's why one of the things that I I like about fitness around these tribes, when we talk about, you know, setting aside church, when we talk about the things that are available to us as young men and women uh, that are still finding our path in the world, start by doing. You don't have to necessarily know your life's mission at 22, but what you can do is pick up a barbell. What you can do is learn to dance or play the guitar or whatever it is, but you start by practicing some. This is why um, those old Kung Fu movies were so central centrally themed with like these Confucius and like philosophical ideas was because you start by moving and doing. And very quickly, you start to see Maddie Force for life. You start to learn from the people you meet in these engagements. I mean, martial arts is probably my favorite example, jujitsu mm-hmm. or, or whatever me- method is. You're out there doing this, this, uh, what people might see it on his face is violent behavior, but really it's full of love and learning opportunities and, and life. Uh, and, and that goes for yoga and it goes for painting and it goes for all of these things that we've discussed in this conversation. And so what I would say is if you're out there and I've talked to so many of these people, Jeff, where they're like, you know, listen, it's great that you're so passionate and you got this tattoo and the hat on with the logo and that's so cool. And you got story. It's like, dude, I didn't start there. I started by doing, I started by telling somebody telling me first, my dad to pick up a shovel and shut up and work. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. working long enough, I realized, oh, there's some efficiency to working together or there's some efficiency to learning a system. And then by discipline and by consistency, all of a sudden I started to see opportunity to solve the problem a little better and a little better. And then, there I am on Halloween with my dog. Uh, <laughs> and, and I just think through that, um, you know, if you're out there and you're like, hey, listen, I understand that I want to have clarity and I want to build tribes, but I haven't yet found what the seed of what this path is or what my direction is going to be. Start by doing. Find somebody yep. that you respect and act like them. If you can, follow them around and help them out. And if you do that long enough with many enough people, you're going to get opportunities to pick up that virtuous path and take it to the next level. Because I see that just over and over again in my own life and others. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of wisdom in what you just shared there about just doing things. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody looks for that perfect moment, right? Well, the thing's got to be perfect. It's got to start, or it doesn't have to start. It has to be perfect before I start. And that's often the hardest way to accomplish any big goal. You know, again, if I could go back to, you know, Mike Rowe, um, you know, here's a guy who um, did, he thought he was going to be an actor and a singer. And actually, I don't know if you know this, he's an opera singer. I mean, the kid's got a voice on him, doesn't he? 
I, I didn't middle, know middle, that. But that's pretty amazing. Yeah, middle middle of the presentation just stands up and starts singing a piece of music from an opera that he was just in. Wow. And, you know, it just blows your mind. And, you know, here's a guy who people would look and say, yeah, it must be nice to be Mike Rowe. Look at that. Dirty jobs. Well, what they didn't see was when he's on one audition uh, or he's doing one opera, there's a break. He's an extra. He goes across the street. There's an open casting call for QVC. Goes across the street so he can get on TV. And sells pots and pans and God knows what else on QVC for a few years. And, and that's the point. It's just, it's doing. It's like, all right, there's a stage, there's a camera. It's not the script I want, but I'm on TV. It's a step closer to the goal. You know, and that's the thing. One of the big things I really is in my head from this past weekend is always a step forward. Mm. never a step back. Even if it's not a straight line step to that goal, it's still a step forward. Which, when you think about not doing anything, equals at least a step back. So now you're two steps ahead. Any thoughts on that about always looking forward? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think that's, I think it's brilliant. I think you absolutely should be moving forward. I think um, I think it's hard for people to it's hard for people to decide. And so that's where I say like, I don't love the term fake it till you make it, but what it means is right. Cause I don't think it's faking it. Um, I'm not right. Mike Rowe and, and I'm not young enough to maybe do this ex example, but if I was 22 and, uh, had a job, uh, doing a thing and I could go do, I could go do an audition for the thing I really wanted to do. If you just start doing that, if you just hustle, if you take a thousand auditions, you're going to get one. You're going to get picked. Yep. If you take a thousand, yep. if you take a thousand job interviews, you're going to get a job. If you're an entrepreneur and you start a business and it fails, man, I just read this yesterday. I love it so much. I think it's worth Winston Churchill. He said, success is just moving from failure to failure without losing uh, motivation or something. Uh, and I just think right. that's such a brilliant thing because I'll tell you what, man, I have failed so many times in my life and I've had brief periods of pretty big successes. And honestly, it's the, the failures that allowed me to be ready to do those successes. And it's the failures that winnowed down my idea of what I wanted to spend my life doing, right? And so if everything came easy, I might end up doing something easy that really wasn't my best purpose or cause. And so because mm -hmm. consistently putting myself out there, looking at the people that I respect and going, they wouldn't settle for this. I'm going to keep going. Looking at the people I most respect and say, they wouldn't quit from this. I've heard the story enough of how somebody was in debt and somebody was struggling and somebody couldn't make it happen. And then they did. I've heard that story enough to know that, it, that if I'm in pain and I know that what I'm trying is the thing that I really want, that that pain will one day be paid off. I believe that. It'll either be paid off in very valuable experience or, Kyle, what's up, brother? Uh, or it'll be paid off in in money by success, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It will. Um, so you, you, we have mutual connection with Kyle Slaymaker. I owe right? Kyle a response on Facebook Messenger. He's getting that response right after this. He just messaged me <laughs> yesterday. Kyle is is one of my new brothers from another mother through Scott Ramage. He's also a badass. Awesome, awesome. Yes, Kyle's uh, rather local to me, uh, nice. and actually a customer of one of my businesses. So, oh, nice. Um, and I've been on his stage, and yeah. So, what's cool. up, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, I think what you just shared—you know—it's a pretty sad life to just live an easy life, isn't it? 
going from one easy thing to the next. It's not for me. I can tell you that. Uh, it's not yeah. for me. I, I mean, I need to be getting choked or looking down from a, a mountain to like a rock climbing thing, or I, I need something. I need, I need a reason to be better. I just, I, I, I did CrossFit competitively for a long time at a very low level. You won't find me. So don't bother. Don't Google me, but <laughs> I did CrossFit and I tried to compete for a long time. And, and what I found was I'm good at CrossFit because I'm lazy, man. And because I'm lazy and I don't want to be a loser, I put myself in these really tough situations. And because my training partner gets better when I push him or her, then I put my push even harder. And all of a sudden I find that, I don't know if I'm a fire breather, but I'm certainly fitter. And because of that, it's it's driven by my desire to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. But I just realized too much that, man, I'm writing a book of my life. And if that book is full of all the same page day after day after day after day, I just don't feel like that's an inspiring story that I would be honored to leave behind. And so I don't yeah. need it to be a bestseller. I don't need people to pass it around for years after I'm gone. I'm not a big legacy guy, but I do want to write an interesting story. And one thing about an interesting story, Jeff, is no interesting story that you've ever heard went right. You know what I mean? It's always yeah. the struggle that makes the story. Yeah. Yeah. There's never just a, uh, a straight line. Uh, there's Matt Rhoda. What's, What's up, up, Matt? Matt? Um, yeah, it is never just that straight line story, right? It's, it's very rare. I mean, even, even your like trust fund kids, I don't know that they've got that. You or know, if they do, more, if they do, then they put themselves in those positions, right? There, right. there are some of us that I think some people, I think point it like Jocko Willink or something like some people are just geared where they're like, what's the hardest thing I can do? And I'm going to do that, you know, like, and I'm, I'm definitely right. not quite that. Right. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think some people are lucky enough. You see these people that come out of like trust fund situations or whatever. Well, and I think that's, that's either their, their parents passed down a, a set of tools or ethics, uh, or they just had that thing inside of them that was, you know, sometimes it's not the prettiest thing either. Sometimes people are, you know, trying to prove the world wrong or they have a chip on their shoulder and, you know, that certainly can get you started. You know, I don't recommend it being the fuel you try to win the long race with, but you know, if that's what gets you started, then great. Yeah. You know, on this uh, topic of an easy life and just stacking easy bake, easy way, predictive answers in, your, in the book of your life, you know, for, on the educational front, because of my son's journey, you know, I, I spoke at our board meetings. I talked with administration. I talked with teachers and counselors. And I quickly realized nothing I do as far as change goes, no part of change that I'm going to have is uh, going to benefit my son and maybe not even my youngest because local educational systems and districts just don't move that fast. Mm. You know, there's, uh, there was a, a, a seemingly existential crisis about the formation of a, of a committee in our local school. And that was three years ago. And, you know, it was very polarizing and it's not worth getting into the details other than to just say it wasn't this whole near existential crisis. And now three years later, we're just kind of now getting steam. Mm. Well, that's, you know, if, it, if I'm to believe, and I do believe there's importance to it, but if I'm to believe it is that big of a deal, that's an entire age group of kids that have gone through high school. You know, and I noticed, yeah, right? Like, guys like us, we want to move. Like, let's go, let's go, yeah. let's go, right? And so I noticed, as Chris brought up, you had a whiteboard where you had chat GPT up, right? And 
I've challenged locally as well to say the bedrock of education and really life is shifting. You know, it's shifting from underneath our feet, especially as it relates to kids learning. And I think our current educational system is just giving kids almost like the Mad Libs, fill in the blanks version of an easy path in life. Mm. They're not challenging them. They're not having conversations like we're having right now. It's here's the fill in the blank for college. Here's the fill in the blank for college. Here's the fill in the blank for college. And then, oh, maybe here's these other opportunities. And with technology and automation, I think if we could put that in front of our kids and teach them how to use it, how to find an answer, how to be inquisitive. I think our school, the current condition of our schools and our young people would be infinitely better. Any thoughts there? I, a ton. I, so many, in fact, that I won't be able to get to them here. Uh, but what, well, let's what go. I'll, yeah, what I'll pick from that is I think very clearly schools have become a, one of the main battlegrounds. Uh, there's, there's a few others that I won't even bother with in the moment. Maybe they'll yep. come up. I don't know. Uh, but school, and by the way, you've forgotten more about being a dad than I even know. I have a two-year-old daughter, uh, Lucy, who I love very, very dearly, but uh, I have not hit, had to deal with what you are. Cute and name. I think what's happening is there was this long period of time where the United States, I'm just going to talk about our country because that's what I know. The United States geared the entire country around this central idea, the Industrial Revolution or whatever you want to call it, or the, uh, you know, uh, even you know, World War II and that stuff. Um, we gathered everybody around this one idea and this one ethic. And so the system was built over many decades to produce people to elevate the country in the ways that they wanted to elevate it. But technology is shifting those goals and those requirements very, very quickly. And like you're saying, it's very difficult if you're trying to keep your arms around the world, or in this case, the country, it's very, very difficult to try and move that lift. But what you know you can do, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, stop trying to hold the world in your arms. Bring it closer, mm. take the people closest to you in your arms and teach and guide those people that you can touch. Because right now it's way too easy, which seems to be the central theme of this conversation, Jeff. It's way too easy to see every battleground and every debate and every news story and every problem and go like, we're going to fix it all. Well, that's going to move right. pretty slow. But what you can do is you can go on a walk with your son and you can talk to him about what you learned blah, 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 in this situation that maybe can apply to this relationship or this business struggle that they're having. And so in many, many ways, our culture has changed, but in one very singular way, we have not, which means that the things that have always worked for us will continue to work for us. Because what I see on the internet and what I see on the streets of Northwest Indiana are very different things, Jeff. And I would bet that most everybody listening to this would agree. Yeah. Yeah. What gets put in front of us as a society to distract and move off of a goal of greatness, you know, I think is very much intentional, uh, very much a for purpose. That's not for the benefit of anybody watching. It's for the benefit of others. And, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you shared there. Um, the, uh, the, the interesting thing that I see about you and, you know, you've got your spear and clover. Um, tattoo on your forearm, right? Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Has anybody, um, and we'll kind of circle back to the conversation about tribes this way. Anybody in your world and your tribes chosen to put that 
uh, logo on a tattoo on their body? Not yet, but I've had a few people talk about it. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that. It'll be on my tombstone. I can tell you that. Uh, you know, nice. to me, to me, um, you know, this was a core value tattoo that I had for years before it was a business. Uh, it's a business because I've spent my life um, doing those things that I love to already do and pursue professionally. Uh, I could give you a whole list of them. Um, but also, it's important to me to, I've spent a lot of time uh, becoming a person that can show up to a podcast, can be in a picture with a stupid Bronco, can go to the store, can go to jujitsu and just be the same guy. I'm the same guy right. here. That's what the mustache is. That's what the hat is. That's what all this stuff is. It's just, this is how I want to live my life when I'm with my wife. This is how I want to, I, I roll jujitsu with my two-year-old and our living room floor. And then when I go to the, you know, the, the meetups for the schools and the dads have polo shirts on, I look exactly like this. I talk exactly like this because I just don't have time in my life to be somebody else for anybody but me. And so, you know, mm -hmm. that, that was hard to do. And it certainly isn't just dyeing your hair pink and, you know, you know, wearing ratty clothes. It's, it's the idea of just being who you are and finding who that is and then trying to express that. And so no, nobody's tattooed this on their arm, but there are going to be some folks. They're going to have some, some pretty badass rash guards coming up here soon. Uh, that'll have that right there. So I don't necessarily cool. need anybody to get any pain to to represent the tribe. Yeah, very cool. How long have you been uh, rolling in jiu-jitsu, training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu? So I started in 2018 at Carlson Gracie headquarters. I had the honor to train at Carlson Gracie headquarters uh, in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and then I've had a couple of breaks. So I would say about four years of of training. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, about 2006 through 2012 very focused nice uh, got the purple belt and then you know got a little busy in my career a couple injuries kind of stayed injured and then i've really struggled to get back um had a major knee and leg uh reconstruction uh, earlier this year and so the goal would be by end of year to uh to get back on the mats for sure because every time i went back on it was just Reaggravate that injury, reaggravate it, tear this, pull that, you know, and it just, it made staying on the map very difficult. But I want to get that black belt for sure. Um, what's your go to, uh, what's your go to finish? I'm a leg guy. Uh, I like open oh. guard. And so I enter into legs a lot. Um, been doing, my, you know, what my favorite is, is the Mikey lock. It's uh, this guy, Mikey Musameshi, just kind of recently. Um, created or discovered a, a move that people weren't doing where you do a heel hook from your, your neck. So you can do a straight ankle or a heel hook from your neck. It's pretty cool. Jeez. Guys don't see it coming. So it's, it's, yeah. Pretty yeah. All you, all you small guys are, who are so spry and flexible can do stuff like that. I was a choke guy. I was going to finish okay. with a choke and I had yeah. four or five that I went to and I was going to get it. And, uh, I was, the, the, the thing about my game is I was able to swim out really late and around. Ah, yeah. that's good for seven. Yeah. Seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It was wow. always, cardio was always decent and I was able to swim out long and then just tire out the opponent and then just setting up, setting up this one, setting up that one. That was my whole, uh, end game. And what really is appropriate to our conversation. Cause it's, you know, when you're playing that game, um, there's a lot of ways to win, you know, that heel hook you're talking about that can come like that, you know, um, comes off of an error. It comes off of a setup. It comes, oh, there it is. I see it and I'm going to grab it. You know, whereas my game was just grind. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to punish. I'm going to make you hate that you ever chose this sport. 
I believe you so deeply just by the way you're saying that. Like, I just know already. What do you like? What do you weigh? What do you weigh? I'm like 260, something like that. Well, when I was training, I was, I was 285. Oh, shit. (laughs) And, you know, I, I honed my, yeah, I honed my game with, um, you're a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I honed my game with, uh, it was Dave Meyer, one of the original dirty dozen American black belts. Oh shit. That was promoted from the great, by the Gracie family. Yeah. And I, I want to say Carlson, not, I know lineage is so important in, mm-hmm. in the sport, but I recall him being one of the dirty dozen black belts, American black belts. And I forget who promoted him. You could look it up. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to speak to it because I know sure. lineage is important. Yep. Uh, but his game was all about pressure, pressure, mm. pressure, pressure. Sounds and like you Carlson. didn't have to do. Yeah, you didn't have to do a million different things. You could do three or four really, really good. Mm-hmm. That's what I grabbed onto. And so, anyhow, I don't want none of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I had a position from side where I just put all the body weight on the diaphragm right through the ribs. Yeah, that was the only part of my body contacting the ground. And you just, and the, um, there were times training guys would just tap like they're just. Just not going to happen. They just wanted nothing. They wanted none of that smoke, as we would say today. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my, my coach, Miguel Torres, right there. He was a world champion for many years. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Man, I've loved our conversation. Um, I love that you're so dedicated to elevating people. Uh, I think as we wrap up, I was browsing your site before, uh, we got on the line, uh, today. And I love how you break down the journey of an entrepreneur from that starting out at six figures, you know, you're in the playoffs, you're a contender, forget the moniker for the middle one of that million plus range. Yeah. Seven figure scalable impact. And then dynasty organization of, you know, you have a very great ability to say things, um, and communicate things with emotion. Mm, Thank you. And connection. Because that dynasty organization, that's what we're, that's, I think that's deep down what every business owner wants, right? Like they may not know it, they may not say it, but it's that inner soul greatness. They want to leave something. So I'll let you kind of end with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, one of the things I do, uh, I try to do it once a week, a a solo mission, right? So I I train at least three times a week. I try to go on a solo mission each week, uh, which is usually like a long rock march where I can just think about my place in the world. But once a month or so, uh, a little bit less, maybe I'll do a float. I'll go into a float tank. Uh, and when I was getting ready to launch this business, I didn't know what to call it. I knew it was going to be Spear and Clover, but the program, because well, I wanted to sell some stuff that was important to me, right? And the things that are important to me are core values, tribe, uh, you know, being able to tell people, express to people how you, how you can deliver value to them, clarity of mission and vision and offer, all this stuff that's really not very sexy. And so I went into this float with one question, which was, what is a way that I can express to people the importance of all these foundational things in our businesses that are so important that you know, the people that are online gurus and the people that are selling marketing courses and sales courses that they just don't talk about. Um, and the only place I could think of that's really baked into our culture where we really admire these organizations built on strong, like rock solid foundations are these dynasty sports organizations. Or you could look at dynasties in history too, but 
mm-hmm. for me, it was these dynasty sports organizations. So it's the New England Patriots. It's the, you know, the All Blacks in New Zealand. It's the New York Yankees. Really, any team with a new in it, is, it seems to be a dynasty. Um, but those aren't built on a player. They're not built on a coach, typically. They're not built on a specific playbook. They're built by the organization laying the groundwork for this is exactly who we are. This is exactly how we do things. And that way, when they get somebody, you see Randy Moss goes to New England. He's been kind of a problem in the locker room all of his career. And all of a sudden, he's the best guy in the world. Nobody ever hears a problem from him again. And that's because just like your podcasting organization, you brought me in and seamlessly integrated me into your vibe, into your tone, into your world. And that's as a result of all of the cues and all of the behaviors that are in line with the rock-solid foundation of this organization, the rock-solid foundation of the New England Patriots or the All Blacks, right? Um, And so to me, a dynasty organization is one where you can get a consistent desirable result. You can consistently grow towards a very clear vision without reliance on a certain player, a certain playbook, or a certain manager or coach, right? And so if you want that, you really have to do the deep work of really uncovering with precision, the meaningful differentiation between you and the guy next door. Because if it's between you and the guy next door, then we're talking about money. And when we're talking about money, everybody loses. Yeah. Man, I, I love I love all of what you just said. And I really do. Um, so a couple of things. Um, if you need to get hype, if you want some go-to motivation, and, and that's very fleeting, but if you need that little injection, go watch a New Zealand All Blacks haka to start a rugby match. Oh my God. Okay. I yeah. mean, you might just, you talk about tattoos. I mean, depending on the kind of personality you are, you might dopamine up and just go, you know, <laughs> burn some soot in your garage and start putting stripes on your face. Uh, and you got to watch what I just said to understand if you don't know, but now you know. And uh, I love all the what you just said. And again, I think it goes to your gift of being able to relate and bring in that emotional end line and that goal. Uh, about dynasty organization. Further, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I'm so glad you didn't use the Cowboys as an example. So thank you for that. Well, they don't have the new in it, so <laughs> they don't count. I'm a, I'm yeah, a Bulls I mean, guy. I didn't even say the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicago. I mean, there, there's another dynasty. Yeah. yeah, there's the New Zealand All Blacks on the screen. We don't play the audio, so we don't pick up copyright issues. But uh, just gives Google me chills. News. Just yeah, to see it yeah. gives me chills. You know, and and to and, and we're you know, it's it's my show, it's my time. I, I'll be respectful of your time here. We'll wrap up sh- shortly. But you know, to the to the All Blacks. So I got introduced to them coaching youth football. One of my coaches, my head coach, that I was an assistant under, uh, Paul Shingleton. Um, he was a big rugby guy. He actually brought the rugby tackle into our youth football organization. We took the head out of the play, and we were proud to say, in the times we coached, we never had a kid get a concussion. Um, and you know, so that's a whole other conversation, but. I bring this up because at that time, um, about a year into knowing him and him talking about the All Blacks, there was a player, and I don't know the name, mm-hmm. uh, but there was a player who did some sideways stuff behind his wife or his fiance's back in an airport bathroom. Mm-hmm. So it was bad yes. enough you weren't a man of honor to your woman. Mm-hmm. It was bad enough you weren't a man of honor to your word. It was bad enough you put a stain on your team, but then you did it in public. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, the All Blacks have been at the height. I mean, they're a dynasty organization. And this was, they were on yet another high. And he was removed from the team. You know, that's what a dynasty organization does. Agreed. Next man up. You know, yeah. And, and they didn't suffer because of it. That's for sure. And he was, 
I, I don't know the sport that well enough. I don't recall the name, but I do recall the story. And, you know, dynasty organization will, um, will make that call in the hardest of times with a lot on the line. And then I believe the backstory is that player was still coached up, but in a different way. Mm. It wasn't shut the door and goodbye. It was, okay, it's a pause for the team, but we're going to get you right over here now. I think I can give, I think there's an opportunity to come full circle here because one of the things that I did when our business was growing past that ability for me to keep track of my own tribe was I fired myself. I fired myself mm. from the day to day because I knew I was no longer the best person to be doing the roles and responsibilities that I had previously been fulfilling. And so just to kind of use that as the example, if you're the coach of a dynasty organization, you got to be able to, you got to be willing to bench your star player if that's what's best for the team as a whole. I think Ted, uh, Ted Lasso did that this year, sort of. Uh, but either way, uh, yeah. I fired myself. I fired myself and became yeah. sort of the chairman of the board type CEO type role because I had to. There's 500 people in the room or whatever it was at the time. And me trying to do all of these things that I had sort of become attached to, holding on to that identity of the 100-person gym owner or whatever it was at that time, um, in whatever business you run now, I had to realize that I was no longer able to fulfill at the level of excellence that I needed uh, to, to fulfill for the tribe. And so if you want to be a dynasty organization, if there's one piece of advice that I can give you, it's once that foundation is built, then the tribe comes first over everything. If there's infidelity, cut it. If there's dishonesty, cut it. If you're not able to live up to your responsibility or you're rich now and you don't want to sweep the shed like the All Blacks do, cut yourself. Get out right. and put somebody in who's going to be hungry and who's going to live up to the, to, the, to the responsibility of your own mission and vision. Love it. I love it. Great way to wrap up our time about sweeping the shed. You said that and it, um, I hear Paul's voice on the football field. Moment in time. That one and who's going to carry the boats. If, you, if I'm going down in a workout and you yeah. said, who's going to sweep the shed or who's going to carry the boats, I'm going to get really mad at you and then I'm going to have about 40% more energy all immediately. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Man, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for pouring into my audience. We've been flashing all your stuff on the screen. We have it in the show notes, but we've been remiss to say it on audio in case you're that person that decides to only get a fraction of the Big Ticket Life show, you should watch it on video because you get the whole sensory experience. But if you are doggedly determined to be an audio only, where do people go to connect with you, Jason? Well, first of all, if you're still watching this, number one is like and subscribe and share this podcast. This is one of the best productions I've ever seen on a remote podcast. And I just shout out to you and the tribe that you and your team have built and are working on. Thank you. Uh, and so if you're still here, it's for a good reason. So hook this guy up. He's putting his heart and soul into this. And if you still have energy, any energy left over, and you want to check out my stuff, you can listen to my podcast, Spear and Clover, uh, Spear and Clover uh, on all platforms, including YouTube. Um, and if you're an entrepreneur, uh, and you're looking to build a dynasty organization of your own, you can find out about our programs at spearandclover.com. Uh, in particular, um, I'm working on uh, a beta group of TRT doctors. I've been working very closely with some TRT doctors. Mm. Uh, and to me, um, the virtue of masculinity is a very deeply important cause for me. And so I'm very interested in uh, being connected with folks like that right now. But anybody is always welcome to reach out. I talk I talk to entrepreneurs all day. I get more energy in my life from it. And so if you want to hop on and talk about your business or opportunities or struggles you're currently facing, I am here for it. So hit me up. Love it. Love that. I'll, I'll, um, 
uh, I'll connect with you after the show. I've got a couple names I can maybe pass on to you about the TRT thing. So at any rate, uh, man, this has been a pleasure. Really enjoyed our time. Thank you so much for it. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode and uh, we'll see you next week on The Big Ticket Life. Take care, everybody. Thank Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.